everyone, welcome to Parallel Church, one church in five physical locations. So welcome to all of you joining us this morning in Tabor with Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome to you. Welcome Lethbridge with Pastor Ralph and Cindy. Welcome Claire's home with Pastor Brian and Heidi. Welcome to uh, Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. Welcome Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara. And welcome to all of you joining us online with Pastor Tim and Jen. Welcome to all of you. It's so good to be seen. I, I'm seeing you all right now and uh, love you all. And I, I want to take a moment before I get into my message to congratulate all of our graduates. Let's give them all a big hand. If you are part of our church and you graduated uh, recently, you just finished school, huge, huge congratulations to all of you. We're so proud of you, whether you graduated high school, whether you graduated uh, college, we're just so proud of you. I, I wasn't able to give uh, graduation speeches at all this year, but if I was, I would give them this message. So this message is for you. The rest of us get to listen in and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. I think this is gonna be helpful for not just the graduates, but for all of us. Uh, I, I wanna share an insight that Pastor Leon Fontaine uh, taught me Oh man, it must have been 20, 25 years ago. And this is some, This is a, a, a principle or just a simple, I don't know, just simple progression that is, I, it's stuck with me for all these years. He says there's four stages of life that all of us are in. The first stage is, well, survival. You're right, we, we can be in the, in the survival stage. And he said, one of the things that he said about uh, these stages is that he says, it's not your, your whole life can be summed up in these stages, but also parts of your life can be summed up in your stages. So you're in the survival stage. Survival is just, we're just hanging on. I hope we make it. I don't know. So you can be financial survival stage. We're like, I hope we're just, we're going to be able to make it. You can be relationally in a survival stage and going, man, I hope we, we can make it through. You can be health wise in survival stage. You can be emotionally, mentally in a survival stage and you're going, man, I, I don't know if I can keep going anymore. I'm just hanging on. That's the survival stage. The next stage is the stability stage, right? So stage two is we are stable. We, we, we hang on, we progress. Now we can walk into stability, right? Where it's not it's not great, it's, but it's not bad anymore. And it's almost when you get into the stability stage, it's like, ah, we can breathe again. I mean, financially, if you're in survival mode, you're just hanging on paycheck to paycheck. You hope you can pay your bills this week. That's survival stage. You get to st stable where you've got regular income coming in. You're able to make it. You're not, you know, you know, checking your, your bank account every five minutes to see if you can pay for whatever you're paying for. You're stable. It's a breath of fresh air. But that is not the goal, is it? We don't want to get into stability, especially relationally. If we're surviving we, and our marriage becomes stable, it's a breath of fresh air. But we don't, I mean, come on, we're not championing. We're, our goal is not stability. That's not where we want to rest. We want to progress. And the third stage is success. Okay, we want to get to success. Now, graduates, come on. Your goal from graduating is I'm going to have a life where I'm just in survival mode. Now, that's not your goal. That's not what your anticipation is. You're excited about your future and you're wanting to get to the place of success, whether you've got dreams for careers, you've got dreams maybe for marriage, for life, and you're going, you don't want to just have a survival marriage or survival career. You want to have success. And we can progress from 
survivals to stability to success. And then there's a fourth stage. And this is the stage where I think a lot of us just try to get to the success stage and, and we're happy there. But there's another stage, and I love how Pastor Leon said it, is this is the stage of significance, right? Signif, oh, let's see if I can, uh, I can spell. There we go. Significance. We want to get to the place of significance where success is, is about me and, ha- and, and my income success or my uh, emotional success or my relational success. But significance is about you. It's about everybody else. And this is the highest point that we can get to where the success that we have in our own lives now begins to benefit others. The success that we have in our finances begin to benefit others. We can have a significant impact. The success we have in our business lives is, is going to benefit others and have a significant impact. The success that we have relationally can benefit. And we want to get to the stage of significance. Now, all of us, all of you listening, watching right now, you are in one of these four stages. And again, your whole life is in one of these four stages, but you can break down your finances, your relations, your relationships, your, your business, your job, uh, your health, your uh, every stage of life, your parenting. You can say, okay, what stage are we in? And if we're not in stage of significance, and I guarantee you none of us are, I'm not, I'm sure none of us are in the stage of significance in all areas of our life, how can we progress up the ladder to where we can get to be significant in all these things? And the truth is, all of us are in there and in one of these stages, and the fact is, we're in the stage we're in because of how we think. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 23, 7. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, our thinking has produced the crop that we're reaping today. Whether we are thrilled where we are or whether we are frustrated where we are, our thinking has shaped the stage that we're in, has developed and established us in the stage that we're in. That's the good news, that's, that's bad news. I know for many of us are going, oh, I regret that. I, I, but that's also good news because if our shape, if our thinking has shaped where we are currently, our changing our thinking can actually help us progress to where we want to go. Uh, Paul said it this way in the New Testament in Galatians 6. He says, do not be, see, be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. In other words, what you sow in your thinking is going to reap in your, in, in, in where you are, the stage of your life. And regardless of what stage you're at, whether you view yourself as successful or significant or whether you think you are barely surviving, all of us have made decisions, come on, that in the past that we have regretted. I've got lots of regrets. I'm sure you have lots of regrets. Um, it doesn't matter what age we are, we all have regrets, which have been shaped by what we have planted or how we thought. So let's talk about regrets. We have regrets about money we wish we wouldn't have spent um, or invested. We have regrets of partnerships we wish we hadn't formed. We have regrets of relationships we wish we would have stayed away from. Uh, I know I've got regrets and all these areas. I'm sure there's other areas as well that you have regrets. And you know what's most frustrating about the decisions that I regret the most in my own life 
is that I can look back on all of them and think, what was I thinking? Like, how did I, how did I make that decision? The right decision was so obvious. How did I decide that? I should have seen that coming. How many of you have ever said that? I mean, isn't that the way it is? You know, hindsight is 2020. We can look back and going, well, I shouldn't have made that decision. I shouldn't have entered that relationship. I shouldn't have spent that money. It's so obvious. I shouldn't have bought that. That's so obvious. Now, hindsight is 2020. And that's frustrating because wouldn't it be better if foresight was 2020? Wouldn't it be better that we, if we could, I don't know, if we could look ahead and be as confident with the decisions coming down the road as we are at knowing and having the confidence of the decisions, right or wrong, that we made in the past? Don't you wish, I mean, I wish, don't you wish that there was a, a book, you know, Decision Making for Dummies? That's the title of this message. But I, I mean, don't you wish there was just a book that'd be like, hey, there's a you know, decision-making for dummies. I've got a decision coming up. How, could, how do I make it? You know, how, how do I know what's the right thing? You know, what do I do? I wish there was that book. There's, there's not a decision-making book for dummies. However, there is some incredible insight into the Bible that God gives us through multiple authors that can help us foolproof our decision-making and reshape our thinking so that we can move from survival mode to stability to success to significance. And that we can, we can look ahead with foresight and have confidence to make decisions. Paul said this in Ephesians 5, verse 15. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I could spend hours and hours and hours on this verse. There's so much incredible insight in these verses. And I promise you, I won't spend hours and hours, but I want to unpack a little bit of this because Paul in these, these three verses is giving us so much insight into decision-making. First of all, he doesn't say walk as righteous men. He says walk as wise men. That, that's, that's key, right? And then he says don't be foolish, but understand. And, and I like how he just kind of just says it. Like you should just understand what the will of God is. Well, if I could just do that, I would do that all the time. But, but he gives us insight in how to understand the will of God. And the insight is walking as wise men. Again, not as righteous men, but as wise men. And here's the thing that I've, I've learned. And I've taught this before. I've taught this to my kids. Uh, you know, I've, I teach this to young people as often as I possibly can. But I've realized in my own life that the mistakes I've made, the regrets I've made in the past, and the decisions I've made where I'm going, what was I thinking? I, pretty much all of them, I asked myself in making that decision, the wrong questions. And a wrong question, example of a wrong question is, I asked myself, well, what's the right thing to do? And the reason why I say that's a wrong question is because for me, and I'm just talking for me and my regrets, is that when I, when I ask myself, is this right? Or another way to ask that wrong question, or is this wrong? When I ask myself, is this right or is this wrong? I end up making the wrong decision because I'm the greatest salesman on the planet to myself. I could sell 
a fridge to myself living in, come on, in Tuktiuktuk, way up north. I, I mean, I could, I can sell myself anything. I can sell myself in anything. So if I ask myself, is this right or is this wrong? I can begin to, is the moment that I ask that question, I begin to justify to myself why it's not that bad or why, you know, it, well, you know, I, I don't want to be legalistic. I can, I can talk myself into making anything right. So if I go to buy a car, for instance, and I'm asking myself, what, is this a right decision or is this wrong? Is this right? Is this wrong? I even put columns, you know, benefits and negative, like, is this right or is this wrong? I can talk myself, if I really want something, into something. And the regrets I make when I look back on, the regrets I have is because I talked myself out of something that I already kind of knew wasn't right, but I asked the wrong questions and therefore got the wrong answers. The better question to ask is what is the wise thing to do? Not what is right, what is wrong, what is the wise thing to do? When I ask myself right or wrong, I'm, I have a little bit of a rebellious streak. Come on, I think all of us do. And so if I, if I understand something that's wrong, I don't stay away from that wrong thing. I live right up to the line. Prime example is if I see that it is wrong to speed and go past 110 kilometers an hour on a highway, I don't drive 109 I don't even drive 100. I live right up to the line and to honestly, just a little bit over. Well, sometimes a little bit more, right? Because inevitably, that's our human nature. And when we get into right and wrong decisions, we can talk ourselves into, uh, should I get into that relationship? It's not wrong. Should I talk to her? Well, it's not wrong. You know, should I hang out with that coworker at work? That's, that's not wrong. You know, should I, you know, go with this person to this? It's not wrong. Should I spend this money? It's not wrong. You see, I mean, you and I do it all the time. That's, I justify all the time. A better question is what is wise? And when I ask myself this question, what is wise? I immediately know the answer. And I've even added, uh, you know, three more questions to that to kind of press in a little bit more, foolproofing my decision-making. I ask myself, in light of my past experiences, is it wise for me to do? So if you've got a, a past of regretful decisions you've made and you've, you've got a weakness or you've got a tendency to, to trip up an area, and we all have those areas of regrets, there's certain things, come on, there's certain things that you know I should probably stay away from because in light of my past experiences, this is not wise for me to do. Right Or in light of my past experiences, I have a lot of success in this area. Is this wise? Yeah, it could be. I've got a track record that shows that I can handle that pressure, that decision. I can do that. But regardless, if I can look back on my track record in my past and ask what's the wise thing to do, I can get an answer. The second question that I, I ask myself is in, in light of my current circumstances and responsibilities, what's the wise thing to do? So let me give you an example. I can ask, and people ask this question all the time. Come on, we're Christians, we're church people. We still debate these things. You know, people say, is it right or is it wrong for a Christian to drink alcohol? Right? I mean, we, that debate can come up. That's the wrong question. Is it right or is it wrong? Because I can justify that it's right just as easy as I can justify that it's wrong. 
And I can talk myself into whichever side I want to talk myself into. But if I ask myself, based on my past experiences, if there's a track record in my family, in my own life, of addictions and, and problems with alcohol, is it wise for me to drink alcohol? That's a different answer. In light of my current circumstances, responsibilities. So in light of my current circumstances and responsibilities as a parent, as a, as a pastor, as a, as a leader of, of people who are recovering from addictions, is it wise? It's different than is it wrong or is it right? Is this helping anybody? So be honest with yourself. Based on my past experiences, is this wise for me to do? Based on my past experience, you know, current circumstances and responsibilities, is this wise for me to do? And the third question you can ask yourself is, in light of my future hopes and dreams, is it wise for me to do? Right? I mean, I get asked by young people, especially when I was, you know, pastoring young people and youth pastoring a little bit, you know, how far is too far? Talking about sexual relationships and, you know, and saying, how far is too far? That's the wrong question. The wrong, it's the wrong question because I'm saying, okay, because what I'm really asking is, what's the line between right and wrong? And I want to live up right to that line or just a little bit over, right? And then we get in ourselves into trouble. Instead, if I ask, in, in light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of the type of marriage that I want to have, successful marriage and significant marriage, in, in light of what my dreams are, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? That will change how you respond to the question. You know, should I buy this? Well, in light of your future hopes and dreams, should I buy that car? If I have a dream to buy that house, uh, is it wise? It's not wrong for me to buy that car, but if I have a dream, a hope and dream to buy that house, maybe it's unwise for me to do that in this time because of my future hopes and dreams. These are great questions. And here's, here's the thing. They're painful questions. And they're painful because you know the answer. And once you ask these questions, you most likely already know the answer. And then you have a choice to make as to what you will do. Solomon says this, and I love this because he's reiterating my point. And he says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart to discern right and wrong or to make those decisions on your own is a fool. You're, you're, you're going to make the mistakes, but he who walks wisely will be Delivered. Re delivered from what? Regret. I love Solomon. I love the book of Proverbs. And in fact, you can break down the book of Proverbs into four main characters. And it'll help you understand the, the, the book is that the book is really written about four main characters. And, and he describes it in Proverbs 1, who, what these four characters are. He says this, wisdom shouts in the street. She, that's one of the characters, lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out wisdom. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. And then, this is what wisdom says. How long, O oh, naive ones, character number two, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers, character three, delight themselves in scoffing. And fools, character four, hate knowledge. So let's break down those characters for a moment. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about the naive. 
And we've got chairs up here. We're gonna, and each one of us, again, just like we are sitting in our lives, we're sitting in one of the four stages of our life. We're sitting at each, again, different areas of our life. We're sitting in one of four chairs, the chairs that Solomon describes. He describes the naive. And, and he says it this way, you know, in Proverbs 7, he says, for at the window of my house, I looked out uh, from the lattice and, and I saw among the naive, he sees, you know, a, a youth. He says, and I discerned among a youth, a young man lacking sense. So he says, I'm looking out. Solomon's just, I don't know, um, gets up or whatever he's doing, about to go to bed, looks out the window and he sees a young man. And he says, this guy's naive. And he's saying, well, Solomon, that's harsh. Why do you call him naive? Well, he, he'll describe that why in a moment. But naive, if you're sitting in this chair, it's not a put down. Being naive is, is not an insult. It's just the reality is, is all of us at some point in, in our lives, we're just naive. When we're younger, we're naive to some things. When we're older, we're still naive to some things. We don't experience everything. If you go to a new job, you're naive to the culture. You're naive to the job, to the details. You're, you're naive to, to those things. We all enter at times in all of our lives, we have parts where we enter into things that we just don't know what we don't know. That's naive. The naive say things like, man, you're just overreacting. Um, you know, that's what we say to our parents. Mom and dad say, I, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't hang out with those people. Come on, mom and dad, you're just overreacting. I know it's going to work out. It's going to be just fine. You're just overreacting. That's the language of the naive. Solomon described the language of the naive this way. He said, he continues on talking about this young man. Proverbs 7, he says, suddenly he follows her. <laughs> he just, he doesn't, I mean, she's got a reputation apparently. And she's a married woman. We know this in, in Proverbs 7. A married woman that he walks by her house who has a, this married woman has a reputation for being a seductress, an adulterer. And this young man, naive, walks by her house is what he describes in Proverbs 7. And he says he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter, as one uh, in, in, uh, in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver and a bird hastens to the snare so that he does not know it'll cost him his life. And you're thinking, Solomon, you're way overreacting. It's one night. It's one act. It's one mistake. It's not a big deal. And Solomon says, oh, no, no, naive, naive. You don't know that this regret or this decision is going to cost you a lot more than you anticipate paying. That's the naive. The second chair is the fool. Okay, the fool the fool is one who is no longer naive. Solomon says this in Proverbs 10, verse 23, says, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What, what's he saying? He says a fool, a naive one, just doesn't know any better. A fool knows better and yet decides to do the wrong thing anyway. If you, if you know wickedness and you play it like a sport and you're like, you know it's wrong, but you do it anyway, Solomon says, you're a fool. Or in the words of Mr. T, you a fool. Like, come on. Right? So, come on. I just dated myself right there. I'm sorry. But the language of the fool is, I hear what you're saying, and you're probably right. But I got to be honest with you. I, I just don't, I don't care. I know it's wrong. I just don't care. I like it feels good. And, you know, it, I know. Solomon says a, a lot of 
things about the fool. Again, four characters in the book of Proverbs. There's lots that he says about each one of them. But he says a fool is like a dog that returns to a vomit is a fool who repeats his folly, and which is gross. I mean, come on, what an analogy. Have you ever seen a dog puke up and then it laps up? But come on, what you just ate made you sick and now you're going to eat it again? Solomon says, yeah, that's a fool. What just made you sick, what just made you regret the actions or the decisions you just made, and you're going to run out and do it again? Come on. You know it's going to harm you. You know the consequence, and you're going to do it again? He says, that's the fool. Then he goes on. He says, he says this, he who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is so important, young people. This is so important, not just young people, all of us. It says, eventually... The fools, the companions of fools are the ones who reap the consequences of foolish decisions. That if you hang around with fools, you're going to get hurt too. Eventually the consequences of fool will catch up and they will end up alone because they've hurt the very people they love. The third chair is the chair of the scoffer. Okay, so a, a naive person is clueless. Okay, the fool has a clue but just doesn't care, right? The scoffer is clueless, could care less, and is now critical. They will make fun of your convictions, your stand, your morals, your trying to be wise, and they will say things like, you're just so narrow-minded, don't force your beliefs on me. That's, that's the scoffer. Solomon says this about the scoffer. He says, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insult for himself. He says, if you try to correct a scoffer, you're going to get, you're going to get dishonor on you. Because scoffers, one of the things that they do is they try to control their environment and keep everybody off balance and so that they can maintain control. That's really what they're trying to do. Proverbs, you know, Proverbs 13, 1, Solomon says, a wise man accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Okay, they just, they won't, they don't want to hear it. They just know they're stuck in their ways. They don't want to hear it and they're going to blame you. They're going to make this mistake. They're going to repeat that mistake. They're going to suffer the consequences and then they're going to blame you for the consequence. That's the scoffer. So what does Solomon say? Solomon says, drive out the scoffer. Ouch. And contention will go out with them, right? Even strife and dishonor will cease. That's, that's ouch. So all of us are sitting in those chairs at times, and that's okay. How, if we're in one of those chairs right now, how do we get out? Well, there's hope. Solomon addresses that hope in, in Proverbs 1. He says this. He says, turn to my reproof. He's talking about God. Turn to my reproof. T turn to God for correction, reproof discipline. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Just if you turn to God and saying, hey God, this is, I've suffered, I've made a decision, I regret, I'm turning to you. Not away from you, I'm turning to you. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil or the, the consequence. Then he says, in, Solomon says this in Proverbs 4, he says, get wisdom. Whose responsibility is it to get it? It's ours. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not uh, forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth or the words of the, of the Bible or the words of, of God's spirit. Do not forsake uh, 
her wisdom, right? And, and she, again, wisdom is, is a character in Proverbs, will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get it, right? And in all you're getting, getting understanding. So what's he saying? How do you get out of one of these three chairs? You climb into this chair and you First of all, turn to God and saying, God, and James said this too, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and saying, God, I need wisdom. I don't know how to make this decision. God, I need your help. I need wisdom. And he says the spirit, Solomon promised that the spirit will come and, and fill you and be a part of you and you can seek it. And he says, you pursue wisdom. You pursue understanding. You get knowledge. You get understanding and then apply that knowledge and understanding to, in your, and you will be wise. So when you're naive, get knowledge so that you're not naive anymore and you can slide into the wisdom chair. When you're a fool, look to God for reproof and, and correction and you can get wisdom and you'll, and understanding, you'll get into the wisdom chair. If you're a scoffer, repent, turn to God and saying, God, help me. I need wisdom and you can get into the wisdom chair. And the best way to get into the wisdom chair and stay in there is simply by asking this question. What is the wise thing to do? Not what is the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? No, no. Ask what is the wise thing to do? That's today's takeaway. Simply to make foresight 2020, ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? I don't know where you're at right now today in this moment. I don't know what decisions you have coming up this week. I don't know what decisions you have coming up this summer. I don't know. You know but what I do know is that you can dummy proof your decision making by simply asking that question what's the wise thing to do? And some of you got some big questions coming up and and ask this question, based on my past, what's the wise thing to do? Based on my current circumstance responsibilities, what's the wise thing to do? Based on my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Imagine living free of the limitations we place in ourselves when we sit in one of the three chairs instead of chair number four. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each one that is here today and hearing these words. I thank you, God, that you didn't put us on the planet and not give us an instruction manual of how to walk through it. Lord, that you gave us uh, the instructions. You gave us the way that we can make decisions. You didn't tell us what decision you make. You told us how to make the decisions. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd minister to each one. Give us the wisdom to know what to do, the courage to follow through even when it's hard in Jesus' name. Amen. How was that? Isn't that good? You know, when, when uh, I first began my faith journey, I, I would hear preaching or teaching like that, and I'd go, you know, how does, I would see myself in those chairs. I don't know if you saw yourself in any of those chairs, but I would hear it, and I would think it was, I think it was the who, person speaking that was speaking to me. I come to know that it was a God that wants me to know how to make better choices. And to begin following him in that relationship means to, uh, to walk alongside him and to continue reading and studying because it just makes sense. You know, if you go by your heart, man, you're going to be all over the place. Depends on your needs. And then it's just, what do you do? And I remember just Cindy and I were like, 
we're at a time in our marriage and everything going, we're just not making the best choices here. And it's funny that at that time that people came into our lives and started inviting us out to church and, and then we'd hear these type of messages and go, man, we need this. We need this in our life. Actually, one of our first dates was to a wedding and I heard the wedding sermon. I'm like, man, I think we need this in our relationship. She probably would have ran away if she heard me thinking that. But at that point, because like, you're thinking marriage? I'm like, no, I just don't know about relationships. What these guys talk about is guidance and direction for our life. Does that mean we're not going to have struggles? Oh yeah, they're coming. They'll be there. But in those times, those choices are vitally important to the outcome for our future. That's why we give people an opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus. Because that first choice of saying, okay, I gotta, I gotta follow this. There's something speaking to me. There's a peace that I know I can find in that direction in a relationship with a God that loves me. And I, ho- I hope you know that God loves you. If you don't, <laughs> that'd be your first thing to say, yes, he does. And by doing that, We say you confess with your mouth. Romans talks about it. And ask God to come into your heart, into your life. And that direction is, he's waiting for your choice. That's the first and best choice you'll ever make in your life. I honestly don't know where I'd be if we wouldn't have decided that. I just don't know. But I do know where I'm going to be. One day, is it in eternity? with him but but between the you know that dash in between you know that's so important to have an amazing life and what I'm trying to say to you is if you've never uh, stepped into a relationship with Jesus I'd say take that step today just it it might feel like a chance in your heart because maybe you've met Christians that are like I don't want to become like them and what God would say to you maybe you shouldn't (laughs) become like them but become like me Begin to follow me. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. And that's what we do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer with you guys. And if, if you've never said it before, maybe you said it before and you're just like, I say it every week myself. <laughs> Not only up here, but in my heart there because I'm going, I'm reminding myself with gratitude that, that God's came into my life. That I've got that relationship with Jesus. Would you guys want to just pray this along with me? Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. I believe that you died and rose again. I ask you to become my God, my Lord, my Savior. I thank you for forgiving me of all my wrongs and mistakes. And that even today I got a new start with you. Help me with my choices in the future. that I'd learn to love like you. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now you can, uh, like when you make, when you say you're doing something, then there's sometimes there's a bit of follow-up in that, right? You made that choice. And that's why we give you an opportunity to go to the next steps table in the lobby there. There's a Bible there. Or there's a card in your seat pocket that you can uh, just scan the QR code on there. Just fill it out. And again, that's not so that we can find out about you but that's that's part of the process really of saying okay now this is my choice my decision and 
And if you, we can help you in any way in the direction forward from that, that's what we're about. So walking alongside people. And again, I don't know how I would have continued in my journey if people wouldn't have come alongside me, give me a little bit of direction, people that have a little bit more applied knowledge, which is wisdom. And I saw it working for them and then it was working for me, right? So if you've made that decision today, please just write it on a card and we'll, we'll, we won't bother you. We will connect with you though. And if you have any questions at all, we'd love to, to answer them as best we can.